morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Everybody warmed up now a little bit? We're kind of inside. Everybody's been singing, moving around. A little toasty now. Feeling all right? All right, good. Perfect. I like to hear that. Well, it's good to see you all. I'm thankful that you're here. Thankful that you're with us. Uh, if you have not uh, been with us um, and this is your first time here, uh, again, welcome. Uh, man, I'm thankful that you have chosen to be with us in worship today. If you've been with us any stretch of the imagination, I want to speak specifically to you folks uh, who have been with us for a while. Uh, many of you have called, many of you have emailed, and here it is. For all of you who have demanded that we go back and finish Philippians, which we stopped right at Advent, here we are. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 4, okay? So go ahead and go there. I don't want to get any more emails, no more phone calls, none of this whole, hey, pastor, what's the deal? Why are you not finishing this book? We need to go back and get this done. Today's the day, okay? So for the rest of you, and this is your first time, welcome, please, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Philippians 4. And as you're turning there, and as we get ready to finish up this final uh, section of Philippians, that, you know, really, this was a series we did back before Advent, before the Christmas season. Uh, I told you we would come around and finish it, and here we are. Um, I think it ties really well into what we've been talking about the past couple weeks. Uh, so I think you'll see that in just a moment. But before I jump into that, man, I want to just say a word of thank you to our faith family, to our church uh, man, I got to tell you guys, uh, last Sunday was a hard Sunday. Uh, if you were not here for that, uh, you probably don't have any idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. But man, I want to tell you guys, man, our faith family really responded to our staff this week. And I am, I am thankful for you. Our staff is thankful for you. We were encouraged by uh, just the amount of letters that were in the office. It was unbelievable to walk in on Monday morning, and there were letters everywhere. Like, I don't know how you did that or who did it. I'm a little concerned now about the amount of keys we may have out to our office. Um, and, and now I'm, I'm doubly concerned because I left my office door unlocked. But there were, there were letters of encouragement all over the office. They were, they were taped to doors, taped to chairs, taped to pictures, uh, taped to books. I mean, they were just everywhere. And so we were, we were finding these letters as a staff. We were getting, we turned on our email. We were getting emails from folks. Uh, you were texting us and calling us, and uh, man, I, I tell you, uh, <laughs> I've learned now that i got to be careful with some of the jokes that I tell, uh, because many of you in your letter of encouragement uh, corrected me on how much the cost of a stamp is, so thank you for that, I now know, um, and uh, all of you signed your letter Spider-Man, and so I have learned, I've got to be careful with uh, which superheroes I call out, but anyway, thank you all for that. Uh, that was incredibly encouraging. I'm going to tell you, those, all those letters and emails, they sat on our conference room table all week. And throughout the week, our staff just kept walking in the office. I told them, hey, my door's open all week. Just come in. And throughout the week, uh, all of our staff members were coming through, picking up a letter, reading, praying, um, and just incredibly encouraged. So thank you for that, man. We were overwhelmed uh, by the gratitude of our church. And so thank you for all those messages that you sent. It meant so much to us. Well, uh, man, I got to tell you, in light of just uh, conversations that we've had, uh, conversations that we will have, especially conversations coming up this evening and, and what we've seen transpire over the past couple of weeks, man, I think, it's, I think it's a safe assumption to make that if you've ever read through Philippians and you've studied the church at Philippi, it's almost, uh, it's almost eerie how similar our situation is today with what happened in the church at Philippi, particularly when Paul, through his words and through his letters, calls the church to really do some self-reflection. And it was in the midst of that self-reflection that they realized that there were things that were happening within their church that were clearly not of God, and therefore they needed to be removed. 
And so in the midst of that, God then calls the church to, or God calls the church through Paul to then be united in its cause and united in its purpose according to the will of God by the glory of God. So as we look at our text this morning, Paul, in what's really going to be his closing statement to the church at Philippi, we're going to see that he's not done teaching at this moment. In fact, he closes his letter by being grateful for God's provision and yet at the same time being grateful for the church's support. So Paul is going to write in these very last moments about the importance of giving and what it means to live a generous life as a believer. Now I want you to notice this. You see, the call to live a generous life is is not just simply about being gracious and kind to whomever, whenever, but I want you to realize and understand that uh, what we get from Paul is we are given, uh, that we are called to give as a faith family, as a body of believers, we're called to give both in time and in resources to our local church. So if you're here this morning and you're like, oh great, beginning of the year, here comes the sermon on giving, you're absolutely correct. Okay, spoiler alert, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this is the one, all right? All right? Now, I'm also going to tell you that I was reading several studies about preaching on giving because I was just kind of curious as to what was out there. And, and what I quickly realized was that most pastors, when preaching on giving, they actually fear the subject of giving when it comes to teaching it and preaching it from the pulpit in the local church. Now, there are several reasons for that. And these studies generally conclude that one of those reasons is that they are afraid that people may become suspicious of pastors asking or talking about money, asking or talking about time, or or asking and talking about service. Another reason they gave was that, uh, another fear that they gave was that pastors really don't want to come across when preaching on giving. They don't want to come across as greedy because all of us know that the salary of a pastor is tied to this very topic. But herein lies the problem. You see, when we read the Word of God, and yes, we recognize and realize that this is a hard topic. It's a hard topic to hear about how we are to give, not only of our resources, but also of our time. But it's also a hard topic to preach as well. However, even though this topic is hard, as Christians, we shouldn't avoid the subject. We shouldn't avoid the subject because the Bible clearly addresses the call to give as a Christian. So when we look at our text this morning, we're going we're gonna to see the church's model for giving, but then at the same time, Paul is going to show us how we are to model receiving when we are the ones receiving the blessing of that gift. Now again, I want you to, to be careful this morning, okay? There are many of us in this congregation right now who are going to say, okay, the pastor's talking about giving, so here's what I know to be true. I Frequently give. I I tithe to our church. I give in financial resources to the church. So check. I've got that one covered. I also give of my time through my service in the church as well. So check. I've got that one covered as well. So from this point forward, I can tune out. I can pull up my phone and I can begin reading every possible article I can read about Tampa Bay's football game today. Okay, if that is you this morning, I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful, and what I want you to do this morning is I want you to to tune your hearts to the Word of God for just a moment. Because here's the reality. I want us to ask the question, when we are giving today, are we doing it for the glory of God, or are we doing it so that we are the ones who will receive the accolades? 
When we give of our time and we, we give of our service, are we doing it because we want Jesus Christ's name to be made known? Or are we doing it because we hope to see our name on the side of a building? Why do we give this morning? Why do we serve this morning? You see, here's a problem that we have that we need to pay attention to as a Western church today. We have become so consumer driven as a society, as a society. We've become so consumer driven as a church that we, we treat church almost like if it were a movie, if you will. We're, we're looking for a good trailer, if you will. We want to come in and in the first couple minutes, we want to see and experience something good. And if we don't see or experience that something good, then we're just going to turn right around and walk out. And so if it looks good and it sounds good, then we're going to pay to go. We're going to pay to be a part of it. But if it's not or we become unhappy with it, then we are not going to go. We're not going to give. And then our lack of giving, we're going to then use to make a point about how unhappy we are. But here's the problem. And this is for the Christians in the room. Not giving is a sin. Not giving is a sin. You see, here's the reality. When we stop giving because we're not happy, we're not just hurting the people that we want to hurt because we're not happy with them. But we are now hurting God's church. I want you to think about that for a moment. When we stop giving of our time, when we stop giving of our our service, when we stop giving of our, our, our financial gifts and our resources, do we realize that as Christians in that moment that what we are doing is we are attempting to hinder the very work of God? Let's realize that this goes way beyond simply trying to hurt an individual. So the question I want us to explore this morning is this. How do we live a generous life? Now, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading here in verse 10. And what we're going to read is Paul's words to the church at Philippi and what it means to live a generous life and to give faithfully, obediently, and sacrificially. So again, if you have found your place in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 10. And if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, these are Paul's words to the church at Philippi. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray together. And Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this morning. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here, to be in this place, and just to simply study your word, to talk about your word. Father, we praise you for the opportunity we've already had this morning to to sing your word, to hear your word spoken, to pray your word back into our lives. And Father, we pray that in these next few moments, God, prepare our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears for your truth. So God, we ask that in this time that we have together that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you that all that we ever have, all that we will ever need can be found in you. And so for that, we praise you and give thanks. Now, Father, prepare our hearts for your truth today, for it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could, I want to kind of set the scene for you going back to Philippians. I don't want to give you a lot of backstory on the church of Philippi, but I want us to pick up on who Paul is talking to here. Now, Paul is clearly talking to two particular groups within the church at this moment. He's speaking specifically to a group that can be best described as the wealthy and the group within the church that is also can best be described as the poor. Now, here's the wild part about both the wealthy group and the poor group within the church. Both thought at this particular moment that they were more superior than the other group. Now let me unpack what I mean by that. You see, the wealthy in the church, those who who had everything together, those who were affluent, who, who had the businesses of the day, they thought that they were more spiritual because their abundance proved how great their faith was in God. And yet at the same time, the group that was poor within the church, the, the, the hard workers who, who barely made a day's wages but were willing to give it all away for the glory of God, these, the, the poor within the church, they thought that they were more spiritual than the wealthy because they were willing to sacrifice everything for the mission of God. But here's the truth that we have before us between these two groups. You see, you may fall into one of these particular camps, But whether you have a prosperity theology or whether you have a poverty theology, what we really need in this time and day is a Pauline theology. And so we're going to explore a little bit of that this morning, and we're going to look at what Paul will call the church to when he calls them to live a generous life. And he answers the question for them, how do we live this generous life? First, we see in verse 10. Paul tells us that in order to live a generous life, we have to begin first by thanking God for his generosity. You see, Paul opens this final section with another word on joy. You see, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, I want you to notice 
in verse 10, the phrase, the word greatly, but then also the phrase, but you had no opportunity. Now, clearly at some point during Paul's mission, giving had stopped. Now, there could have been a variety of reasons for this. It could have been because the church had hit poverty itself and therefore had no funds or resources to give to Paul. It could be because since Paul was imprisoned and he was traveling, they could never find where Paul was. We don't know what the reasoning was, but what we do know is this, is at some point during Paul's ministry, there was a renewed support that came from the local church. And so we read in Paul's words that he was super grateful, if you will, for their concern and also for their generosity. I want you to also notice that we see a phrase, in the Lord. You see, again, Paul is being careful with his words. Paul is being mindful of what it is that he is writing. You see, Paul wanted to avoid flattery to the church by rejoicing in the Lord for them and rejoicing in the Lord for their gift. You see, Paul wanted the church to understand that he wasn't going to make this about him, nor was he going to make this gift about them. But rather, he wanted the church to see that God was the one who was providentially doing the work. You see, for us today, it's really really easy to get caught up in the accolade of when we give. It's really easy for us to get caught up in the, in the, 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 hey, thank yous for what it is that you do. But I want you to see and understand that Paul teaches that when we thank someone in the church for giving or when we thank someone in the church for their service, let's not just simply thank them for who they are and what they've done, but rather let's thank God for them. That way all of us together are reminded that it is our sovereign God who brought those people in to serve with us. It is by the providential plan of God that he called people to bless and to give and to care for one another within the church. You see, we should ask ourselves this question this morning. When was the last time we thanked God for the people around us? Man, when was the last time we, we thanked God for the, the, the men and women who serve in our nursery so faithfully. You know, that's one thing I would challenge all of us to do as parents is to to take some time for our volunteers and our nursery workers, whether they work with our children, whether they work with our students. Let's just take a moment and say to them, hey, listen, I want to thank God for you because God has placed a call upon your life. And for that, we are eternally grateful. You see, as God's people, we need to first begin by thanking God for his providence and thanking God for his generosity. Secondly, in verses 11 through 13, Paul tells us that in order to live a generous life, we must first, or secondly, we must learn to be content. Now, Paul's gonna use these next three verses to to better explain what can best be described as Christian contentment. You see, Paul knew that Jesus was our ultimate source of joy. Paul knew and understood understood that Jesus was our ultimate uh, source of strength as well. In fact, if we were following along with Paul throughout his whole letter to to the church at Philippi through Philippians, Paul clearly knew that Jesus was the ultimate source of all things and nothing could ever satisfy us like Jesus Christ. In fact, in a day and in a time where where self-sufficiency is all the rage, where where self-sufficiency is the, the philosophy of life, Paul now reminds the church that we are now called to rely on Christ's sufficiency. 
In fact, Paul in the text says, and I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. You see, contentment in Paul's day was rare as it is in our day as well. Paul reminds us that we are to rest in knowing that whether we give or whether we receive, we are called to recognize that Jesus Christ is always enough. And so Paul teaches in verse 12 that whether he is to be brought low in his own words or whether he is to abound, notice Paul teaches that he has now learned the secret to pressing on in the ministry that God has called him to. And that secret is being content in who Christ is and what Christ has done. You see, for us today, our contentment cannot be tied to our circumstances. Our contentment today cannot be, uh, cannot be tied to our, our favorite sports teams. It cannot be tied to our jobs and whether or not the grass is greener on the other side. Our contentment simply can't be found or tied to our families or even our homes. In fact, if I just could just say this for a moment, you cannot tie your contentment to the church because the reality is the church will not lead you to experience more joy. Only Jesus can do that. When you look at the body of believers in the church, let's be honest for a second. We are wretched sinners. We are wretched sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior came in the form of Jesus Christ. And by His grace, we are now growing in righteousness. So if you came this morning and you were hoping that your church would make you happy, I've got bad news. We are all messed up. We're not always going to get it together. Only Jesus can satisfy. Notice what Paul says as we come back to the text. He says in verse 12, and I have learned. Now I want to pause right here for a moment because Paul teaches us that the secret of contentment is not found simply in our experiences, nor is contentment something that's magically placed in our hearts like it came from Hogwarts. But rather notice what he says. He says that learning to be content is something that clearly is learned. It's something that's clearly learned in the midst of what it is that we are going through. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, what really is better for us as believers today? Is it better to simply be given contentment? Like just praying to God and saying, Lord, give me contentment. And then bippity-boppity-boo, he does it. Is it better for God to do that? Or Or is it better to be given opportunities to practice what God has called us to, which is being content in who Christ is, regardless of our situation. Paul clearly in verse 12 tells us that it's the practice that makes it better. I would encourage you to remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Pay attention to Paul's story as he he tells the church at Corinth that he knows what it's like to deal with hardship. Paul knows what it's like to be shipwrecked. He knows what it's like to to face sleepless nights. He knows what it's like to face hunger and to thirst. You see, Paul had been brought low at this point, and yet even in the midst of the lowest point, in the midst of the hardest moments, it's still Paul who, when you come back to Philippians chapter 4, tells us that even in the midst of it all, Jesus is still enough. You see, for us this morning, learning contentment is not going to happen overnight. 
Learning to be content takes time. It's going to take struggle. We're going to grow weary. But notice what Paul then says about contentment. You go to verse 13. And he says, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, before we get into this verse, I want you to understand that here is a verse that is often spoken, often uh, memorized, and yet often misunderstood. You see, I can remember days as a coach seeing athletes wearing this verse on whatever they could wear it. They'd wear it on their face. They'd wear it on their, their tape, their athletic tape, how they wrote on athletic tape. I have no idea, but they did. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you of these athletes, man, I believe that their intent was pure. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think the exegesis of the passage was slightly off. Now, here's what I mean by that, okay? Go with me for a moment. I get that football season's starting to wrap up, and you guys know I talk a lot about football. So let me change sports for just a minute. Let's talk basketball, okay? Let's just talk about it for a minute. Are there any basketball fans here, by the way? Praise God for you, because I don't, I don't get basketball. I, I don't get it. Justin, you get it? You get good for you, dude. I don't get it. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when it comes to basketball, if we ever decided to get out on the court here, I promise you, I am telling you today, I am the last person you want on your team, okay? I am a better Gatorade getter. I'm a better encourager. You don't want me shooting baskets, okay? I can't hit a layup, all right? My kids are better at basketball than me. But here's the reality. I love sports. I love baseball. I love soccer. I love football. I love all these wonderful sports. But the reality is I am awful at basketball. And here's the deal. I can't all of a sudden walk out on a basketball court and just pronounce. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and then all of a sudden start dunking the ball like I'm Michael Jordan. It's not going to happen. So you see, you need to understand when when Paul says these words in verse 13... He's not telling us that, hey, you can do everything. But rather what he's telling us is how to be content in everything. You see, Christian contentment is rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when you read verse 13, I think it would almost be helpful to read it this way. And I can do all these things through Christ who has given me strength. Now, again, let me unpack what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Paul isn't making a comprehensive statement for all of life in verse 13. But rather what Paul is saying in verse 13 is that in every situation, under every circumstance, as a believer in Christ, I can be content because of who Jesus Christ is and what it is that Christ has done. And that's what we need to know as believers today. So we've got to ask ourselves, man, what about us this morning? Are we content with Jesus Christ? Man, there's an easy way to know the answer to this question. And that is by answering the following question. What is hindering us from doing what it is that God has called us to do? What is holding us back from what it is that God has called us to do as a church? What stipulations... Have we now put on ourselves and have we put on God for service? I mean, think about this. How many of us have said to God, Lord, I will serve you as long as you keep me close to my family? 
Or better yet, how many of us have prayed this way? Lord, I will serve you and I will go wherever it is that you will send me as long as the going and as long as the serving fits my schedule. Man, at this point, we would be wise to listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. When we read that we are called to be satisfied in what we have. Because Jesus Christ has said to us that he will never abandon us, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. And so as God's people, we should be willing to go. As God's people, we should be willing to serve because the reality is in Christ, we have enough. This leads Paul in verse 14 through 16 to our third point on how to live a generous life. Paul teaches us here that we need to now see the power of partnership. You see, Paul now combines the relationship between financial giving and partnership with the local church. And he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and no church entered into partnership with me in giving and in receiving. So notice what Paul is teaching here. He says to us that if we aren't giving, then we are not partners in ministry. But rather what we are is we are now consumers of that ministry. And so Paul in the text credits their support while he was in Thessalonica. Now there's a reason why he does this. Because Paul was able to continue teaching and preaching the gospel and continue shepherding the people in another city while the local church at Philippi continued to support the mission and the ministry that God had called Paul to. You see, the church at Philippi had now become co-laborers with Paul through their giving. I want you to think about that in terms of Southside today. You see, when we give to the local church, we too become co-laborers in the mission that God has now called the church to. And so by giving through the local church, we now support current and future mission endeavors through the local church. We also give for the sole purpose of seeing the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ spread as more people come and get closer to seeing our goal of church multiplication. You see, we're going to talk more about this tonight. And I've got so many notes I want to say, but I'm going to save that thunder for later. Okay, so spoiler alert, come back tonight. There's more to this sermon. We're going to cut that off right here. Okay? But I want you to understand something about the mission of Southside. And I have said this since day one of being here. Our goal is to be a church that plants churches. Our goal is to see the kingdom of God advance all across our community and throughout our region and within our state and throughout the nation and to the ends of the earth as long as the Lord wills it. But the only way we're going to be able to accomplish that mission is by faithful people continuing to serve, continuing to give, continuing to say whatever it takes I will do for the glory of God. You see, the church is called to be a missions machine. We disciple 
people to share the gospel, to grow in their theology so they can answer the hard questions of the world. And their goal is to then multiply the church, which then multiplies the kingdom of God, which means Jesus Christ is the one who is being glorified. This is the why when it comes to giving. We do it for the glory of God. We do it through the power of partnership. Because we recognize in order to live a generous life, we have to live this life together. This brings us to our fourth point that we see in verse 17. Paul tells us that in order to live a generous life, we need to recognize the fruit. Okay, stay with me. Here's what the text says. It says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now here Paul acknowledges the theological implication of giving. He tells the church that he wants them to be a church that bears fruit. And this is done through giving as the church grows and continues to give to the support of the local mission that God now has Paul on. So notice what Paul is doing by saying these words. He's now pointing the people back to the eternal investment that is being made when we give of our time and when we give of our resources. You see, if we want to continue growing in our faith, if we want to continue growing in our righteousness, waiting for the day that is to come, knowing that one day we are going to celebrate victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the ways that we can continue to grow is to make a regular habit of giving. Because you see, giving is an area of obedience and faithfulness to God. In fact, Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, again, we have to ask the question here, what would be a good work? The answer is giving to advance the gospel and continuing the mission that God has called the local church to. But notice when you come back to Philippians chapter four, there's this phrase that says increases to your credit. Now, many people have heard this phrase and they've, they've spun it to mean that Paul is literally talking about a prosperity message. But that's not what Paul is talking about at all. Rather, what Paul is doing here is he's calling the people to a divine perspective of heaven. You see, when you compare Paul's words to what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 12, it's there that Jesus teaches that God will honor the faithfulness of the people as they give. So as God's people, let us not neglect giving to the kingdom of God. Because when we do, we are now neglecting the work that is being done for the kingdom of God. Again, let me unpack this. The best investment that we can make is to steward our resources well for the kingdom of God because only that which belongs to God will last. Everything else we give to will turn to dust. And so we have to ask ourselves, man, do we see the fruit that comes from our giving? When we give, are we giving to simply do just enough? Or are we giving because we see the kingdom's significance in that gift of our time and in that gift of our resources? I'm going to move quicker from here. Paul gets to the the fifth point that we see this morning in verse 18. He says that in order to live a generous life, that we need to remember to worship. 
You see, we have to ask ourselves this morning, what does giving generously have to do with worship? Well, again, I would point you back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where it talks about uh, that sacrificial giving pleases God and is a spiritual act of worship. But notice when you come back to Philippians 4, Paul says, the gift you sent was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Notice that Paul places here the highest value on giving. He says that giving is a, is a means of worship to our great God. So when we give sacrificially, when we give out of obedience and not just a little out of our abundance, then we are now pleasing God with that gift. And Paul says this is good because the desire of the Christian should always be to please God in all things. So when we give, whether it's of our service, when we give of our time, when we give of our resources, we should be doing these things in order to please God and not to please man. I want you to think about that for a moment because don't don't miss what Paul is saying here. He's not being forceful with his words. He's not demanding it of the believers, but rather notice what he's saying. He's He's not saying this. He's not going, look, we don't have to give. Don't think of it that way. Rather, we get to give. Let me say that again. Paul's saying, look, we don't have to give. We don't have to give. Rather, the better way to see this is by God's grace, we get the opportunity to give back to God. You see, because we are saved by grace, here is yet another way that we get to worship the Lord. So giving should not be a burden for us when we're called upon. But rather, giving should be done with joy. But I also want us to remember this morning that when we neglect to give, when we withhold that giving, we are now neglecting a part of our worship. Listen, Paul is literally saying to us this morning, look, money is a great tool, but it's a terrible master. Worship God with your money, but do not worship your money above God. Money itself is just another tool that's used to point us to worship the one true God. And so we have to ask ourselves, whether in money, whether in time, whether in resources, you can interchange all those words. What does our worship look like this morning? Do we worship money? Do we worship our time? Or do we worship God? Because scripture is clear, we cannot serve two masters. So as believers today, in order to live a generous life, we have to recognize too that a part of our giving, a part of our sacrifice is an act of worship in obedience to God for the glory of God. This brings Paul to his sixth point where in verses 19 and 20, he says this, in order to live the generous life, you now need to keep the faith. Notice what Paul says. Paul knows this because he says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul is saying here. Paul tells us that God is going to continue to care for his people. He's going to continue to care for us physically. He's going to continue to care for us spiritually. God will continue to provide what is needed in order for us to be able to glorify him with the life that we have now been given. And so Paul teaches, look, stop 
seeking after treasure of your own. It's not going to satisfy. There's never going to be enough. Instead, treasure Jesus and trust your life and finances into the hands of the Father. We flip over to Romans chapter 8. And in a synopsis, we read that if God can give us his son to die a death that we deserved, then surely that same God can and will provide daily bread for us. You see, in order to live a generous life, we must trust that God is going to take care of us. Now, again, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this evening, we are going to be having a conversation that I want you to be a part of. And I want you to know that this conversation is going to be rooted in the fact that we believe God is going to provide. And so before you come into this meeting tonight, begin praying that prayer. Lord, we trust that you will provide and we will do whatever it takes for your glory. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you before we come, we got to ask ourselves this question, man. Do we even trust God? Do we trust God? Do, are we praying with contentment or are we praying with worry? If you need help with that one, go back to chapter four, verse six and seven. Paul talks about that too. But now I want you to pay attention because here Paul closes by saying to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, amen. You see, in this closing, Paul reminds us of our appropriate response to God. You see, it was God who provided salvation and it, was, it is God who will continue to sustain and uphold his people forever. Now I want to tell you that Paul closes out his letter with some final greetings in verse 21 through 23. Paul asks for all to be greeted and even says the ones who are with him now say hello. Now what's interesting is this, Paul actually opens and closes his letter with greeting and there's something that we need to pay attention to here because you see, Paul is clearly under house arrest by the time he's writing this letter, but I want us to know and understand that Paul was never truly alone. You see, Paul was in community with like-minded believers. And as Paul writes, he saw the need for Christian community. You see, as Christians, we are called to live a generous life because we are called to faithfully, obediently, and sacrificially give to and through the local church, recognizing that God is the one who gave to us first. And so as an act of worship, we now get to give back to God what is rightfully his. So as people, his people, people who enjoy the beauty of salvation, people who enjoy the satisfaction and the contentment in knowing the hope that we now have in Christ as people who get to enjoy the blessing and the favor of being found in community together. Let us ask this question this morning. How are we doing at being generous? Now again, I want you to pay attention to Paul's closing phrase here. He says, and all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Now, many have wondered why Paul would even allude to this. Some have speculated that maybe Paul was speaking of Caesar himself. 
Some have thought, no, Paul was talking to, to someone else who was called Caesar, which may or may not have been a common name. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you were someone who called yourself Caesar during the Roman Empire, you were either Caesar himself, you were important, or man, you were looking for trouble. Some have believed that maybe Paul was talking about someone who was important, maybe a leader, a key leader in the community. Either way, wherever you fall on that spectrum, what we know is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ was advancing. And I want to tell you something. I know we, we live in a, a country where we speculate about everything. Man, we question everything. We don't know what to believe anymore. We don't even know what's real. Can I assure you of one thing right now? The one thing I can assure you of is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is still spreading even at this moment. And it will continue to do so. You see, I want you to pay attention to what Paul's teaching us in verse 22. Paul is reminding the church in this moment that the power of Rome cannot nor could not stop the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rome was no match for Jesus. And I want you to know that our countries and our empires and our world leaders today, even our pandemics, are no match for King Jesus. You see, our world and our cultures and our governments cannot nor will not ever stop the power of the gospel. So my prayer this morning is that we would live in that gospel, that we would continue to seek to advance the gospel and as a church, a body of believers, may we live a generous life, all for the glory of God. Let's pray together.